0: Yeah, it's a busy day here, and if if you're kind of new, um, welcome. Uh, we love having guests, and we love having people join uh, what what God is up to. Um, you know, in the first service, we had a couple of baptisms following the service. Uh, well, during the last song and into the next service, uh, we're gonna have seven baptisms following this. So, uh, just a lot lot happening, a couple outfit changes and things like that for me, and so it's just it's just a great day, and we are closing out a series called Lost and Found, and I wanted to uh, thank Justin and then Lindsay and Emily for taking the past two weekends. Um, I needed a little break from teaching after what was a pretty kind of heavy lift for the Triggered series where you talk about truth, sex, and politics. And when we wrote this series, we wanted to focus in on evangelism because we knew we were going to be looking at you know, making heaven crowded over the next couple of weeks, uh, starting next Sunday. And that's about kind of our identity as a church and our vision uh, for us as a church of making heaven as crowded as possible. But leading into that, we needed to share you know, what is evangelism or how to share the gospel or what is the, the good news. And so when we wrote the series, I claimed this portion of the text. We've been working through... Luke 15 and the, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and um, today is one of my favorite, uh, it might be my favorite parable in general, A, because it's so well known, but also how misunderstood it is. And so I like to really dive deep into what is called the parable of the lost son. Now, parables were a way of Jesus teaching the truth of God's word in a way that people that might not know a ton of scripture could understand. So he would show the, the heart and the truth of God through stories that they could all relate to. And this is a story of a, what sometimes is called the prodigal son. Um, I think that's actually misnamed. Uh, I, I would prefer it to be the, it could be the parable of the waiting father. It could be the parable of the older brother. And we're going to take a pretty deep dive into it, and I'm going to read the entirety of the text because I don't love kind of floating into this one and getting what we need and then moving on. So if you're familiar with it, we're going to pause along the way and kind of dissect what what Jesus is trying to teach us. So in Luke 15, verse 11, it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent himself to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but none gave him anything. When he had come to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Okay, let's stop here in verse 20. Um, So so Jesus is going to tell the story basically in three parts. And the first part is going to focus on the, the lost son or the prodigal. And he goes to his father and he says, hey, um, I'm not really willing to wait for you to die, so can I just have part of my estate now and then I can move on with my life? And the father gives it to him and says, okay. And he goes off and he, let's bring it forward a little bit, he goes to Vegas and has a great time. But then all of a sudden the money runs out and the, once the money runs out, the friends run out and once a friend's run out, there's a famine in the land and he needs to work. And so contextually, we have to remember that Jesus is teaching this to a first century Jewish audience. So the, the thought that he would now be so relegated to feeding pigs, and pigs were seen as defiling, couldn't be near them, that's what he had to do to survive. So that's kind of adding on to how low this guy got. And then in verse 20 he's going to switch Now towards the father. He says, While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So he had a rehearsed speech. And he had a a speech of, He was working on it on his way back. And and it says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Um, If you've ever had to own up to anything, have you ever uh, had a rehearsed speech for your parents? Like, you know, like, okay. So, A, everybody's alive. Don't worry about it. Um, But I messed up. That's what he's doing on his travels home. Saying, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. It's a little dramatic, but it gets the point across. And the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the robe, put it on. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he is found. So they began to celebrate. Let's hop back to verse 20. And when Jesus is talking about the father here, I want you to notice a couple of things. While he was still a long way off, he sees him, and he recognizes him. And then Jesus says, and he made him crawl back and grovel. No, actually, he had compassion. Solomon went, that's my kid. That's my son. And he's come home. He felt compassion. It wasn't, you know. There will be a time to get into the all of the I told you so's. There will be a time to get into all of the Hey, you should have listened to me. Or Hey, where's where's my estate? You squandered that. There will be a time to get to that. But all he sees is he sees his son, and he doesn't know anymore about where, where does he stand biblically. Where does he stand in theology? He doesn't know any of that. The son, all he sees is the direction that he is walking. Last time he saw his kid, he saw the back of him as he's going off and going to Vegas. But now he sees the front of him, and he sees him returning home. And that is what he sees. Now also you want to notice that he sees him at a distance, which means he is looking. He is searching. He's scanning the horizon for a long time. The sun didn't do this in a few weeks. This took some time. To spend that amount of wealth and then to go and get jobs and go and find yourself hungry and lose all your friends and find yourself in that estate. And then the son, the word is turns or repents, stands up and repents and turns and decides to come home. He's rehearsing the speech. The dad doesn't even care about the speech. He runs and he throws himself around him and he goes towards him rather than making the son come all the way back. All of this is very purposeful. Now, it's going to turn to the older brother. And here's what I love about this is because all of us in this room love to be the prodigal son in this story. Some of us even identify and see the father and the grace and the mercy. Yet, shockingly, not many of us love or identify with the older brother. And I think sometimes we read very quickly through this part because we judge him pretty quick. And so he comes back, and the older son, in verse 25, is in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? He said, your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, and he refuses to go in. So his father goes out, again, the father is going out to the kid and pleads with him. He answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you. I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours... Who has squandered your property with prostitutes who comes home. You killed a fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again and now he was lost and now he is found. In each of these parables of the lost, they celebrate when they find the lost sheep, the lost coin, and now the lost son. But the brother, the older one's upset. He's upset because I followed the rules. It's not fair. It's not fair. I followed the rules. And now, um, I, I skipped over it, but I shouldn't have. In verse 30, but when this son of yours, not my brother, but when this son of yours comes home, he's done all of these, he didn't follow any of the rules. It's not fair. He gets a party. I don't. He's seeing the father as transactional. He's seeing the father as I've done the things. Where's my reward? I've done all of the rules. Where's the stuff? So he's seeing the father as I put A in, I get B out. Okay. Who is Jesus speaking to with this parable? And how revolutionary would this concept be of It's not about the rules. It's about being in the house. It's about being in the family. It's about being a part of the family. And the rules are important, but they are not salvation. Because back then, there were around 630 Jewish laws that you needed to keep and abide by in order to be in the good graces of the Father. And Jesus is going to come in and totally turn that on its head. They would say, hey, hey, I followed the rules. It's not fair. I haven't eaten this. I haven't worn this. I, haven't, uh, I celebrate this holiday. I sacrifice on this day. I followed the rules. It's not fair that you're giving so much grace to this son of yours. Don't you know what he has done? So there's two totally different attitudes here. One of which he, he messed up. He, he, the prodigal messed up but he also identified the screw-up. Now, he didn't identify it before. You know, when he goes to his father and he says, hey, I want the estate, he didn't go, nah, that's, it's better here, I'll stay. Sometimes you have to go through some things and then you realize. Like as a a parent, to see your kid make that decision, knowing they're going to get hurt, you could... Bubble wrap them, protect them, make sure they don't make any mistakes, never having learned the lesson. Have you ever seen your kid getting ready to do something really dumb? And you know, uh, it's not going to hurt them, hurt them, hurt, but they'll learn and they'll get up and I'll go to them with compassion and say, how'd that go for you? So what did we learn? Maybe don't jump that high. You could get hurt. But you had to go through that in order to learn that. And that is a little bit of a problem now is we're not allowing many of our children to go through some difficulties, trying to just protect. And the father sees the son and goes, this isn't going to work out for you. But when he comes home, The dad is scanning the horizon, and he sees him, and he feels compassion upon him because he made poor choices, but he's also living in an evil and dark world. So he's got a role in this, and he has earned it, but he is also asking for forgiveness as he comes home. The dad says, let's strike up the band. Let's get the fatted calf. Let's spend some money here tonight because my son was lost, and now he is found. Now, the older brother hears all of this and is upset. The reason I love teaching this text is the image um, of the upset brother. It's got echoes of Jonah and Nineveh, um, but it also has this image of, all, of this guy just being mad that something good happened to his brother. Like, that person could not be forgiven. So here's what I want you to think about right now. Who in your life you, do you think is so far gone that God cannot find them? There's a church in, uh, one of my favorite churches in the country is this little country church in, called Montreat, North Carolina, which is just east of Asheville, North Carolina. If you're ever down to see the Biltmore, go 20 minutes east to this college called Montreat. Um, there's the Billy Graham Center, and that's where Billy Graham lived. And on the back of their, behind their sanctuary altar, basically, the, you know, huge, uh, is this image. What, what did they choose uh, to put on the back of their sanctuary is the image of this, uh, this painting called The Prodigal. And in this painting, you see um, the broken, beat-up, malnourished, prodigal son that has come home. And the dad is there hugging him, supporting him, and protecting him. And he's getting ready to throw him a party. Been in there and you just sit there and you just stare at it for a while and you just realize that's what the church is about. That's what we as a people of faith are about. But far too often we are the older brother who are dismissing people and saying that no, not that, that person. God can't reach that person. God isn't powerful enough to reach that person. I have decided who gets grace and who doesn't. Because I kept the rules. They didn't keep the rules. They're out. I'm in. And it's in that idolatry of legalism that the son finds himself outside of the, the house. Upset at who's in the house. So now the older brother is outside the house yelling at who's in there. How did that happen? Because he is worshiping the rule following. It's two diametrically opposed decisions. One, worshiped himself and pride and, and eschewed all rule following. The other, that's all he did. And neither saw the value in just being near the father. Because at the very end, what does it say? My son... You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. You're in the house. You've received your inheritance. You've received your reward. You are a part of the family, and we had to celebrate because this, my son, this brother. I love how Jesus does this. Your brother. Earlier on, it was just, this was your kid. It's like no, your brother. In verse thirty-two. He says, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Everybody's seeking something. The younger brother was seeking fulfillment in his purpose, um, in pleasure and lust and wealth and greed. Can we get an amen on any of that, right? Right? We're all searching for that. Like, oh, that'll make me feel better. Or that, that will fill this, this spot that I have in me of selfishness, of pride. That, that'll do it. I'm in control. And then you find yourselves lost. And now that son has found himself a new master. And Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. So he gets up and says, I'm going to leave this one and I'm going to be a servant to my father at home. The older brother has also found himself a new master, and that is in legalism. That is in, I kept the rules, but I have none of the heart. I have none of the compassion. I have none of the grace, but I kept the rules. I got a list. I've done them all, and I'm going to judge everybody else with that list because I'm keeping this list better than anybody else. So Jesus is talking about, you know, the, the, in this, is, this message is for us, but it's also very centralized to who he is speaking to. This gospel that Jesus is going to proclaim and the disciples are going to preach are going to go to, it's going to go to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles will not have kept a single rule that the Jewish people have kept. They've been eating the wrong food. They have been going to the wrong places. They have been wearing the wrong clothes. They've not had surgery. And they're going to start coming in the house. And Jesus is saying, get ready. None of them are going to have kept the rules. But they know who dad is. And they want to be home. And so this house is going to get a lot messier. It's going to have this week uh, on our street uh, where we live... It's a big Halloween street for some reason. We didn't know that when we moved in, but it is. And um, so we always kind of have friends over who live out in the country, might not have a street. And I walked in after I was chasing Gideon around the neighborhood uh, to get candy. And the pile of shoes in the front of our front porch was just massive. But those shoes represented kids. And then the house was pretty clean before everybody came over. And Jesus is proclaiming the house is going to get a little messy. Gentiles are going to move in. So here's how we bring this forward a little bit. Who are you praying for to come home? Who is going to have some dirt on their shoes? Who's going to not have all the right theology, all the right doctrine, all the right? They haven't been keeping any of the rules yet. We'll get to that. But who just needs to come home? And then when they're in the house, we'll start working on cleaning them up a little bit. Because where we err in the church is we tell people you have to get good in order to get God. And it's the reverse of that is what Jesus is proclaiming. In order, if you get God, then you will get good. So we put out there that we have it all put together and we're all perfect and we are not. We are the younger brother that messed up a lot along the way, but we're home now. Please come to the party. So who are we praying for? Who are you talking to? Who are you engaging with? Who are we communicating with that is not in the house yet? Who is lost like you were? Because we have before us a a decision. We can either be upset at the community for not following the rules. They don't know the rules. It's okay. Or we can throw a really good party. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. It's very easy to walk the path away from dad's house smooth, it's even, it's broad there's plenty of people on it, plenty of people cheering you on to leave dad's house and the son finds himself in the dirt and the muck and the mire and stands up and says this is ridiculous this is gross he repents and we're all that the word repent means is turn now he's still a long way off and that's all God needed, that's all the dad needed he, he, all he needed to see was direction That he was coming home in the right way. He didn't know any of the story. He didn't make him apologize and say, you know, hey, grovel, and I told you so. The son just said, I screwed up. I thought it'd be better without you. And dad says, welcome home. So who are we praying for? Who are you talking to? That's what this church is about. We have the No Perfect People shirts everywhere. We actually mean it. We understand we all have faults and failures and misgivings. We all have a story. I have a story. We all come from different places, different backgrounds, different political parties. We're an island of misfit toys. The, I'm a pastor of a church that is reaching people in this community and I didn't grow up in the church at all. I met Jesus when I was 21 years old. In fact, I was, very, I was an atheist up until that point. until I had a radical encounter with God when my mother passed away when I was 19. And here was my introduction to faith. I was an atheist. I didn't believe in God at all. I worked against it. I was so upset at God when she died. It was unfair that in order for me to be mad at him, I had to believe in him. Isn't that a weird intro to faith? It's fine, I believe in you, now I can be upset. And God worked with that. And God can work with anything. God used my pain and anger at him in order for me to be introduced to him. It's so wherever you are is where you are. What direction are you heading? Is it towards dad's house or is it away? And if you don't have a companion on that journey, we'd love to be with you. We'd love to be a part of this. Actually, after this, in the middle of this service, um, we're going to have a a series of baptisms. And if you've never seen a baptism, we're going to invite you to to watch that. What are baptisms? It's a public declaration of something that has already happened on the inside. We don't see, say, hey, and these are salvific. You find salvation in the water. This is just us doing a ritual of cleansing. And it's really kind of remarkable. Everybody kind of does baptisms differently. We do one time backwards because it represents coming up from out of the grave. You were dead and now you are alive. We're going to have families do that. Individuals do that following this. Um, if you are a, a part of a, if you are being baptized today, um, you're going to see me exit, you can exit too and go get changed. Um, please allow the families to gather around the baptistry uh, and, and, and so they get front row seats to this. We'll bring the kids out of Kids Ridge, so they'll get to see it. It'll be up on the screen um, so you can be in here and watch it, you get better view that way. Um, this is people coming home and we're going to throw a really big party, amen? Why you pray with me? God, we just thank you for everything that you have given us, all of the blessings, and some of the pains that we have gone through that have led us back to you. And so, Lord, this morning, we thank you for home. We thank you that that door is always open, and we thank you for the decisions of those in the room to turn around and start walking back to the house. And while we were still a long way off, you were scanning the horizon, seeking us, and you chased us and found us. Put your arms around our neck, hugged us, and kissed us. Thank you for welcoming us back. It's in your name we pray. Amen.